I think marketers will best position themselves for success if they think about distribution and promotion early on. And if they think about before they create that piece of content, right? If they can, if they think about how they can create something that people actually want to share or that people are directly incentivized to share. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Amanda Nadividad. Amanda is a marketing architect for audience research startup SparkToro. She's also a contributor for Adweek, a Le Gordon Blue trained chef, and I only hope that I spelled that correctly, and a former journalist. Amanda previously led marketing for con marketing agency Growth Machine, led marketing for Liftopia, built Fitbits, B2B con program, and led con and communications for Naturebox. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Georgios. So I have many things that I'd like to learn and discuss with you today. But before we get into the questions that we have, can you please share a few things about your background and uh, share with us what has brought you to where you are today? Sure. Um, so my career started out in tech news journalism. So I worked at some of the original or early tech blogs paidcontent.org, and then at gigaohm.com. And then along the way, you know, had a quarter-life crisis, decided I wanted to go to culinary school and maybe become a food writer. So that was when I went to La Cordon Bleu, um, studied there for a bit, and then I worked at the Los Angeles Times Test Kitchen. The LA Times is a newspaper here, um, and I got to intern at their test kitchen where I tested all the recipes before we published them. And then along the way, I... What ended up happening was I ended up stumbling into marketing. I had, where I had set out to be a food writer, I quickly saw there wasn't much of a job market for that and realized there was a good pivot I could make into content marketing for a food startup. That was how I got my start in marketing over at Naturebox, the direct-to-consumer snack company. And so I think what brought me to where I am today is because I didn't have that traditional path in marketing, I didn't formally study it. I actually didn't even know until last year that you could study it in university. <laughs> I just did, it just didn't occur to me that anybody could do that. Um, so all this to say, I think I, I was sort of forced to figure out how to be scrappy with learning how to do a lot of these marketing tactics, how to measure success, um, and then, of course, I learned from really great marketing mentors along the way. So that's how I would sum that up. 
Okay, and uh, thanks for sharing that. And today you are the marketing architect of SparkToro. Spark and before we say anything else, let me just say that I'm a big fan of, uh, of Rant, uh, who is uh, one of the co-founders of, of SparkToro. But for people who may not know about uh, Rand Fiskin or uh, SparkToro, could you please just give us an overview of what the tool is and uh, also like who is using it and who can get value out of it? So SparkToro is, you know, we really just, we really call it a, you know, we create a, <laughs> we call this an audience research tool. Um, so this is so that marketers, you know, founders, small sales teams, really just anybody, we'll, we'll say mostly marketers, can better understand their audiences and their sources of influence, right? So these are the things like what your audience, what podcast your audience listens to, which social accounts they follow, which YouTube channels they subscribe to, and, you know, what websites or press publications they frequent. So that's really what we provide to our users at scale. Um, and most of our, you know, I would say most of our users are uh, people who work at marketing agencies or people who are consultants. And they're usually doing a lot of research on behalf of their clients on how they can do things like performance marketing, um, content marketing, it, content marketing in the sense of when you are looking to guide your overall editorial strategy, um, as well as ways to amplify the content you're already creating, and PR. So there really are a lot of use cases for the product and for the tool that we create. And the way I see it is we are serving this need that, we are serving this problem that a lot of marketers have, but may not realize is a pain point. Right. So when you are maybe new to a company or new to marketing to a specific audience, you don't really know everything about this audience. Right. You're kind of you kind of go off of what people tell you, maybe what your boss tells you about, hey, they they they, you know, they read Entrepreneur magazine. That could be true. But a lot of these sort of hypotheses or a lot of these statements are kind of based on what you think to be true. Right. Like. What, what publications do marketers read? You might guess there are things like, oh, maybe they read Adweek. Maybe they read Digiday. I don't know. You know, but if you are using SparkToro, you can type in these search terms, essentially, and figure out what websites your audience actually does frequent, which ones they actually do visit, which ones are most impactful or most influential to them. Talking about audience research, I think I have the impression that when most people hear the term audience research, what they have in mind, and marketers more specifically, what they have in mind is essentially, I will build um, the typical buyer personas, customer avatars, you know, however people call them. But I guess that that's not really it, you know, because in my experience, customer avatars are static, you know, they, they don't evolve. And the, the truth is that your audience changes day after day, especially uh, in this competitive uh, environment and ever evol evolving uh, environment that we are living. So I would like to hear from you, what is your, your definition of audience research? And um, it would be nice to hear, nice to hear your, your thoughts with regards to that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I mean, 
I think you're right, right? When we think about these customer avatars or buyer personas, they tend to, you know, stereotypically, right? They tend to be about, oh, this is smart Sally and she likes to listen to this podcast and she likes to do these things and if it's even that, right? And there's a, there's a big focus on the fake name and the fake gender, <laughs> right? When that isn't really what you as a marketer need, you as a marketer probably don't even care whether Sally is a he, she, or they. Uh, I think what a marketer cares about is, well, what are the things that, what are the existing channels that she frequents? Which social accounts does she follow? Which, who does she, who and what does she pay attention to? And how can we, as the marketing team, align ourselves with those channels or with those platforms? Um, so the way that I see audience research and the way I see it differently from traditional market research is, well, one, market research is, you know, the overall potential of a given market, right? Audience research is more about, you know, the, the characteristics, sources of influence um, of a given audience. So it's more personal, maybe it's more targeted or more specific. That's how I see it. I think also, you know, thanks for showing that, by the way, but I think that also what, what's, what's interesting is the fact that using a tool like SparkToro makes the process be more dynamic instead of we did it three years ago, we have some, because we hear that from some of our clients, like, yeah, yeah, we have some customer avatars, like we did this uh, exercise uh, two years ago we don't really use them, but they are there if you want to take a look. But I cannot really see the practical value of, of this, uh, honestly. While if you're using a tool like SparkToro, you can just double the tool and see, uh, have almost real-time data of you know, what's going on uh, in your uh, target audience's, let's say, uh, world. And I think that uh, this, is, this is also something that's, that's important when it comes to uh, audience research. It's a dynamic process uh, above all, everything else, I would, I would say. Oh, absolutely. I would like to shift gears a bit uh, and discuss, uh, since you mentioned that one of the use cases uh, of SparkToro uh, is uh, con marketing. And I think that what most people have in mind when they hear uh, the term con marketing is essentially uh, we use a keyword research tool. We find a keyword. Uh, and we prepare a piece of content that's optimized, quote unquote, for a search audience. And we hit the publish button without any active promotion, you know, without trying to get uh, the piece in front of the right uh, uh, people's eyes. And I would like to hear your thoughts as to what may be wrong with this process, especially not so much in terms of, you know, uh, finding the keyword uh, and how to write the piece, but mostly in terms of promotion. Uh, would you say that, um, do you see this as an issue, first of all? And if yes, uh, what, you know, con marketers and brands can do uh, in order to promote the con that they spend so much time and resources into creating? I think what I typically see as being the problem in this part of the content creation process, this distribution and promotion process, is it... I've often seen that it becomes the last task that the, that the tactics of creating and distributing 
are seen as very different, as very independent from each other. When I think marketers will best position themselves for success if they think about distribution and promotion early on. And if they think about before they create that piece of content, right? If they can, if they think about how they can create something that people actually want to share or that people are directly incentivized to share, um, things like that. I think, I think the problem is when that distribution or that promotion piece becomes the afterthought after something has been created. Um, I can give a couple, I, I can give a couple of examples of this. There are, and this, because I feel like it's not helpful to say, create something so good people actually want to share it. I think that's the starting point. But what does that mean? What, 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 what would compel someone to share it, right? I mean, I think there are, there's that recipe sort of, or that formula for virality, you know, tapping into big emotions, um, tapping into, um, tapping into belief or idea validation. I think those are real things. But even if we take a step back from that, I think there are ways that you can build virality into a given, into a given piece of content um, that helps, that directly incentivize, that directly incentivizes the user to amplify it or even to bookmark it and to keep consuming it. So um, one example that I can think of is one from my, from my time at Fitbit on the B2B team, we marketed um, our, our, tra- our, tra- our fitness trackers and our software to HR and wellness managers, right? So a lot of what they were doing was they were running corporate wellness programs for their employees where they were doing team step challenges, physical activities, stuff like that. So the content that I created that was hugely impactful and that got tens of thousands of engagements um, per quarter, right? And, and, did the, and, and it, this was repeatable, it's happened for years, was this corporate challenges activity generator. So this piece of content was, it was an interactive piece of content. So you, the wellness, you know, the wellness or HR manager would go to, go to our website. You would be thinking, oh, I need to run a step challenge. How can I be creative about this? And then you would just click on a couple of variables like, oh, I want to run a team step challenge. Oh, I want this to be collaborative. And then, you know, the little graphic would think it would have a little pinwheel loading button or loading graphic. And then it would present to you an idea and it would it would say something like walk the one billion step challenge challenge your team to collectively walk one billion steps by the end of the year something like that right and so this generator had maybe something like 30 different ideas so we had a lot of hr and wellness leaders who bookmarked this piece of content and they were, and they, they they would even tell us you know like oh you know what i i actually revisit this once a month because i need more ideas for how to keep my employees engaged. And so this piece of content kept our users directly engaged with the tool that we sold to them. Um, and it was also a free piece of content, right? So this was something that was, it was very much aligned with the product that we sold. It was repeatable, gave people a reason to stay, and it, gave, and it was something that people wanted to share, right? Because then people, HR and wellness leaders were like, oh, I wanna share this with you know, my friend who works at this company she can benefit from this or he can benefit from this. So that, that's what I think about when I think about um, built-in virality of content. I really like that. I, I think it's 
it's very rare to have a piece of content that has built-in virality uh, in it. So really, really like this. Speaking of content promotion, I would like to hear your thoughts on something that we um, see very often. What I don't like these days is the fact that in many cases I see that um, content promotion has become very transactional. Like if, for example, your goal is to build backlinks on a resource that you have created, chances are that when you're going to reach out to people, you're going to get the answer, okay, yeah, I will link back to your resource as long as you link back to my resource. And I would like to hear your thoughts as to, first, if you see that as an issue, and um, also, if you see that as an issue, what can people and brands, creators, do to overcome that, let's say, objection? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, here's where I will borrow a Rand quote, which is, I don't want to yuck someone's yum. I mean, if it's working for someone, if they feel like they are getting the value out of that kind of transactional relationship or interaction, I guess that's good for them. Um, but personally, it's not, it's, not, it's not my approach to content marketing or how I would try to build backlinks. Um, and I think there are, you know, I mean, I don't know the last definitive word on this, if there even is one, but there are, you know, a lot of SEOs who make the case that you don't really need that many backlinks um, in, in order to run an effective content marketing strategy. Um, I tend to agree with that, but I think the problem with this sort of transactional interaction is, you know, it, if it's very much tit for tat, right, then people might not be looking at the overall value. It might just be, oh, well, so-and-so linked to my content, and even though theirs isn't very good, I should do them a favor. And I get that that's the nice thing to do, but it doesn't really help anybody, and it certainly doesn't help the readers or the users. So I think, I think what, I would what I would like to see more people do is create truly valuable um, complementary content that is very much like, hey, you know, you, I saw, I read your detailed blog post on, you know, this topic. Um, I have a similar topic, which you didn't talk about, but maybe this, maybe this is worthy of bringing in front of your audience in some way. I just like when people are thinking more strategically about how they can be collaborative and how they can sort of complement each other's existing strategies. Versus just, you know, link to me, I'll link to you. <laughs> Reciprocating, yeah. I don't like that either, yeah. And obviously, there has to be value there. And uh, you can, as you mentioned, like, you can be creative when it comes to finding ways uh, to exchange value, let's say, but not in such a, uh, a reciprocal way. Um, I, I was reading a blog post by Rand uh, in Sparktor's uh, blog, um, from 2020, if I'm not mistaken, where he shared some thoughts on con amplification. And essentially, what he, the message, at least as I, I understood it, that he was trying to convey was that if you want your con to uh, succeed, uh, you soon create it just for, which is you know, what most people do actually, but you soon create it just for your current or you know, future potential customers, uh, but also for people who can amplify that piece of content and who also may have an influence 
over your current and potential customers. And I would like to hear your thoughts as to, first of all, how easy it is uh, for someone, a, a new con marketer at a SaaS company to spot these people uh, that uh, have influence over um, an audience. And um, like, how can you make these people um, who chances are have experience and have seen you know, many different things uh, interested in your content? I do think this is difficult to do, um, but I think it's you know, very much worth the time and effort. I would say that a great way to do this is picking one social media platform. And I, I say one because it's hard to be on social media. <laughs> Right. It's that it doesn't, it doesn't feel, it's not a good, I don't believe it's a good use of anyone's time to be on all these platforms and trying to consume as much content and take all the dopamine hits as, as much as possible. I don't think that's, I don't think that's sustainable or healthy. So I'll say pick one. Um, and I think in the case of, you know, in the case of what we do you know, in marketing, um, the best places tend to be Twitter and LinkedIn. So I would say pick one. And then really try to pay attention to the people who are posting and what they're saying. Um, for Twitter, you could, you could use um, um, one of our free SparkToro tools. You could use SparkScore, for instance, to check the kind of overall engagement level of a given Twitter account. And with SparkScore, you can also see the nine other related accounts to that one account. And related is just, you know, that these are accounts that this person is frequently, you know, mentioned alongside with or they engage with frequently. So it kind of gives you a sense of they might be coworkers, right, or colleagues or close friends, or they might be um, in a similar niche. So that's a kind of an easy way to find clusters of like-minded people. And then from there, I would probably create a Twitter list just to keep these things organized. And then I would consume the content, right? And follow along. Um, I would reply whenever I feel like I can add value or if I have something relevant to add. Um, and then that helps me get to know these people from afar and to understand what are the, you know, um, what are the topics or values even that these people care about. And then from there, understanding how to create content that will probably resonate with them. And when you think about amplification, it isn't always, hi, can you please retweet me? Can you please include this link in your newsletter or blog post? Sometimes the amplification is just, hey, I, I wrote this, you know, I wrote this blog post. It was related to something you had said a couple of weeks ago. I figured it might be top of mind for you still. So perhaps you'll want to read, you'll want to read this. And, it, and maybe that's the ask. It's, do you want to read this? <laughs> and, I, and I have found that when you keep the ask very, you know, um, very low effort, right? Or, 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 you know, not like you're asking for a favor, someone might be more inclined to amplify or to help you um, because there's nothing, there's nothing more off-putting than someone you don't know um, cold messaging you to beg for a retweet, right? But if someone maybe you don't know wrote something relevant to your interests and to your beliefs and said, Hey, I thought you might want to read this. That's a lot more genuine too, right? Maybe you as a recipient will think like, great, like I'll take a look and 
I'll read this. And if it's relevant, if, if, I, if I feel like this is relevant or if I feel like I wish I said this, then maybe I'll leave a comment or retweet or whatever that is. So I think the missing piece in all this, um, when people are not thinking more strategically about amplification, is that they're not thinking about the deep-seated why somebody would care or why this would resonate with somebody. Okay, okay, that's, that's a very interesting approach. Talking of uh, cold outreach, I, I was reading the blog post that you uh, wrote uh, a while back on the topic of cold outreach. And one of the rules that you shared, by the way, I really like this, this guide. I think that people who are doing actively cold outreach should take a look. And one of the rules in this guide was that you should somehow show that, you know what, I really care about the recipient, the other person. And at the same time, though, we have to accept the fact that this um, may be difficult to do at scale. And I would like to hear your thoughts here as to how um, this could be achieved at scale and whether or not at the end of the day we should think about scale and whether we should uh, think about high numbers or lower numbers but higher engagement and getting uh, better replies and responses and so on and so forth. Suppose it depends on, what we, on how we define scale. Do we define scale as hundreds or dozens? Because I might argue that you can't do this at scale and that you shouldn't. And that if you do try to think about this and how you could do this in mass, then you are setting yourself up for failure. That's how I might see it. Because there's just no way that you can get to know 300 people from afar and understand each individual's interests, beliefs, uh, content strategies. I just don't believe you can do that. I think you can do that for dozens of people, maybe fewer than a hundred. Maybe if you are in an industry for a very long time, more than a hundred at some point. But if you are trying to ramp up in something in a couple months, which I think is something that most of us try to do, um, I think you are better. I think you are better off trying to focus on like twenty people, like twenty people who you whose content you can get to consume and get to understand people who you can eventually become friends with, or that you might become friends with one day. And I think if you find the right few people that ends up being a lot more impactful than just trying to eh, partially get to know 300 or 500 people and kind of spray and pray the, hey, please share this link. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't sound as, as easy. In the same guide, uh, you, you mentioned um, that the best audience uh, for cold outreach is the warm audience. And I would like to hear um, your opinion on what a warm audience is, first of all. Uh, because someone uh, may argue that, you know what, I have shown some ads uh, on LinkedIn, for example, for a couple of weeks to those uh, uh, to these people. I, I'm ready to go. I can send them a, a cold email. But I would like to hear your thoughts on what a warm audience is. And at the same time, how can you achieve warming up an audience so that you can then 
uh, do cold, warm outreach to them. Yeah, so this is, this is all related to the sort of getting to know someone from afar, right? And consuming their content for a little while, whether it is subscribing to their newsletter, reading their blog, following them on social media and engaging with their content, like liking and commenting when you feel like it is relevant. Um, that's what I mean by kind of warming up that relationship. And so that, well, one, you can, you can understand what, what they believe in, what they care about, what their expertise is. Um, and so that eventually when it becomes, you know, relevant or, you know, urgent, I guess, for you to reach out, that they already kind of know who you are. They can kind of go, oh, I know Giorgios. You know, he, he has this great show. He writes about SEO. Like, I know him. And sometimes he comments on my stuff. Like, cool. Like, I'll, he asked me this question and I definitely want to reply. Versus, you know, like, who is this random guy, Bob? Like, he's never engaged with me and I don't know who he is. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I'll, I, I, I get a lot of warm and cold outreach. And the, one, the, the cold outreach that is most off-putting are the people who have never engaged with my content, who don't follow me, who then message me to ask for a favor. You know, there's, there's just nothing more off-putting than that. <laughs> but it's the people who, you know, who I'll regularly engage with on the timeline, and then maybe they'll, they'll send me a, a DM and it says, hey, you know, I wrote this, I wrote this blog post. Um, your tweet the other day inspired me to do this. You know, I hope, I hope you have a few minutes to read this. Like that I think is really, is really nice. And that I, I'll, I'll always respond to, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. By the way, do you prefer like, how do you see that? I, I would like to hear uh, your thoughts really. Do you prefer someone reaching out, for example, if they are interacting with you on LinkedIn to reach out on LinkedIn or email uh, is better? Um, it doesn't, I, I guess email is better. I just don't tend to look at my LinkedIn messages because my LinkedIn messages, and I think anyone's, that's not just me, um, it's 99% spam. So I just don't look at it anymore. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And I think that the, the worst part here is that because of spam and because of the abuse, as you know, as always, like when something in marketing works, there is going to be an abuse and it will not stop. It, it will stop working sooner or later. Uh, but I think that inside these, these messages, they, there may be something good as well. But because you are kind of biased, okay, this is, you know, spam, I guess that you don't pay as much attention. And this is, this is not good, of course. Um, as, a, as a last question, I would like to, uh, to ask you, where do you see the, the future of content marketing? Where is this thing um, going to, to go? In, in what you know, form uh, are we going to be doing uh, content marketing? Uh, in three, five, ten years from, from today? Interesting. I think we are already seeing a lot of this where, you know, more and more, well, there are a couple of problems, right? I think more and more niches are becoming saturated, right? There's a lot of content out there. Um, and then the publishing platforms, I say that in the broadest sense, like, platforms like social media, even Google, they are driving, essentially, they are driving less and less traffic to other platforms, right? Like, 
what was it? I think it was Rand's blog post from last year that said, I think almost one third of Google searches ended without a click. I think we're going to see more of that. I think, and then even on social media platforms, right? Like the algorithms penalize you if you link to outbound content. That's why we have Twitter threads. That's why we have long LinkedIn posts. And it's why users on LinkedIn will put their link in the comments instead of in their actual post because they don't want their content to get penalized for outbound content. So I think we're going to see more of that. And we're going to, we're going to see those behaviors evolve. And we'll see that evolution across the across all users, whether you are a consumer or whether you are a poster. Um, I think we are going to see more people create content that is native to a given platform. So we're going to continue to see more things like Twitter threads, right? Or embedded video, the things that, because ultimately these platforms reward the, the publishers who keep people on the platform. So I think we're going to see more marketers optimize for that, for better or for worse, right? Because, and I have some mixed feelings about this myself as someone who, who writes a lot online. Um, I, you know, fully see that the way to get virality is to um, optimize for native content. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to see more of that. And hopefully, well, I think we'll see some of the savviest marketers figure out a rent and own strategy for their audiences over time. Okay, that, that's a great answer. Amanda, uh, where can people find more about you and get in touch? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I'm at SparkToro. You can check out SparkToro.com. We have free plans so that you can run uh, your queries to better understand your audience. We also have a couple of free tools like SparkScore and a fake follower audit, which is kind of a fun tool that we have. Uh, we also have the audience research newsletter. That's our twice a month newsletter where we basically just give you amazing marketing cheat codes to help you improve your strategies. And then for me personally, um, my personal site and newsletter is at amandanat.com. And then I'm on Twitter at amandanat. That was very, very insightful. Amanda, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.